0: This morning's reading is from Philippians chapter 2. We're reading verses 12 to 30. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served with me in the work of the Gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me and i am confident in the lord that i will myself that i myself will come soon but i think it is necessary to send back to you epaphroditus my brother co-worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs for he longs for all of you and is distressed because he heard you heard he was ill because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me.
1: Morning. Just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. I draw your attention to the front of the bulletin that you have with you I trust two verses from the Apostle Paul to that man we just read about, Timothy and Paul writes to Timothy when he is the senior pastor at Ephesus and Paul is nearing the end of his life again he's in prison, a different time to when he wrote Philippians and his life is um, going to be concluded soon he writes to timothy and says be diligent in these matters that he's written about give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress progress watch your life and doctrine closely persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourself and those who listen to you be diligent in these matters give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see Your progress. The Christian life is one of following Jesus and progressing. Um, Excuse me for a minute while I adjust my iPad. Uh, I also want to draw your attention to Wendy and Richard Lim. Where are they? There. Would you guys like to just stand where you are? I know you won't, but please stand where you are. Richard and Wendy, who many of you will know, this is their last Sunday with us today, which is sad to see them go, but they're a lovely, committed Christian couple who are going to WA. You have bought a house, a unit over there, and you still have a unit here, but you're trying to sell that. So if anybody's interested in buying a unit, see these guys after the service. The Lord bless you. We'll pray for you now. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's pray for Wendy and Richard. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these guys. And thank you that they faithfully and passionately follow you and it's their desire to be obedient to your will. Lord, you've opened the door and you've called them to go to WA. Thank you for the provision of accommodation there. And we likewise commit to you, Lord, the house or the unit here and ask that you might bring the right buyer at the right price and at the right time. May Richard and Wendy know your peace and may they have a strong sense that they are held tightly in your arms, and that you're going to go before them. Lord, use them in a new church in WA and bless them like you have us here. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. The Christian mm. Markers on the journey, on the salvation journey is what I wrestled with entitling this thing this mor- for this morning. So this is, a, a, like all parts of Scripture, it's a magnificent. The more you analyse it, the more you plummet the depths of what's in Scripture. The Apostle Paul, <clears throat> particularly, but not only, when it comes to the biblical authors, uh, is a dense writer. He's not a simple writer. You can read it and, and get... The clearer message of what he's saying but when you start analyzing his sentences they're not filled with one idea they are filled with multiple ideas and you just keep digging down and down and down which is why i'm sure you've had this experience which is why when we read the bible we go i never noticed that before i never noticed that before it's god's word and god's word is infallible and i am here this morning charged with the privilege and the responsibility of teaching you god's word And as I say, and have said on numerous, on previous occasions, I am not infallible. I know my wife wants to disagree with that, but I think she would hardly endorse that. So you need to listen, you need to analyze, and you need to discern, is what I'm saying true to the text of scripture? And if it's not, then don't take what I say, take what scripture says. And if you think I'm off track, or you think I've got something wrong, or if uh, somehow I'm, you know, not on track, that'll do, uh, then come and tell me. Don't send me an email. Just come and chat. Um, and if you don't want to do that, well, God bless you. Um, hmm. We need to live in harmony. The Apostle Paul, those two songs we just sang too, I wanted to make the comment, they're beautiful songs, great songs. You did it again, Great choices. Um, that's the book of Philippians you've been singing. They're the truths of what Paul is writing in Philippians. It's all about Jesus, and it's all about us living in harmony and sensitivity with him, and following him, and then flowing out of that, living in harmony with one another. Um, But this passage, particularly, the Apostle wants to bring us to... um, Following on from where he's gotten to. If Jesus is our ultimate example, and once we become followers of Jesus, we're not to stop. We are to go on and to mature and to work out our salvation. And God is the one who is at work in us. Praise the Lord. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have... What is it? Always obeyed. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. You guys have got a habit, he says to the Philippians, of being an obedient followers of Jesus. That's Paul's testimony about them. And now he says, in jail and absent from them, you need to continue. Continue to work out your salvation. Notice it does not say continue to work for your salvation. It's... You are saved, you have experienced salvation, but you've got a responsibility to be working it out. And if we were to read on, it says, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, which is a magnificent theological truth. For it is God who works in you, both he's giving you the will, the desire, the want to, and the ability to do his good purpose and pleasures. God is at work in you. ever been nudged by the Holy Spirit that says, I want you to read your Bible. I want you to pray. I want you to give this money to those people or that cause or that ministry or whatever. You ever been nudged by the Spirit? That's God at work in you. Nudging you, prompting you. But he's also the one giving you those desires as well as the ability to do things. There's this wonderful balance. And the point that I want us to get is that we are not to stop In the process of salvation, the New Testament talks about salvation in three tenses. It talks about an event where we are born again, where we become followers of Jesus. We are saved. Past tense. Completed act. We are saved. And because He is the one who saved us, we can't lose it because He won't lose us. Secondly, the New Testament talks about we are being saved. We are in the process of that salvation event being completed in us. And thirdly, it won't be finished until the the Lord Jesus comes, or we're in glory, and then we will be saved. We are saved, we are being saved, we will be saved, future tense. That's how the New Testament talks about our salvation. So this passage, the Apostle Paul is in in the middle category. You are saved, continue to work out your salvation, for God is the one who is at work in you, giving you the will and the desire and the action and the ability to do what he wants. We are to go on. I know you know this, but let me emphasize it again this morning. Salvation is from God. It's not something we do ourselves, it's not something we can do to anybody else. He is the one who was at work in us and he's the one who gave us the desire to be saved and we are saved because he sought us. He initiated it, he started it, he paid for it. That's why we pray that God will do that in other people's lives. It's not just up to people to repent and believe, it is their responsibility to do so. But God is the God who is at work in people's lives. Salvation is from him. Secondly, as I've already said, salvation is a process journey, those three senses and um, we are not to think that if God is the one who initiates it, if God is the one who does it then we don't do anything we are not passengers on the gospel train that takes us to the station in heaven we are co-workers, co-operators we are responders to what God is putting in us what God offers we are to receive and what we receive we are to continue to work out It's like a seed that has been planted in the soil of our life. And our responsibility is to make sure that it is nurtured, that it's watered, that it grows, that it develops. Our growth is in our hands. We can't do it in our own strength. He's got to continue to work in us. And it's typical of the Lord. What he requires of us, he provides for us. Whatever he commands us to do, he enables us to do. The link is us choosing to respond with obedience, to do exactly what he wants us to do. The power that compels us comes from the spirit who indwells us. So how's that going for you before we move on? How are you going in the process of working out your salvation as the Apostle Paul instructs us to do here? I think I've already said this one to you. The Apostle Paul then comes to these indicators, these markers. Before I go on, let me just give you this illustration. And hopefully this uh, helps and doesn't distract you. A couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration of Jesus being in our life as like if our life was like a car and where is Jesus in it. Well, following that on just a little bit, If Jesus is in your life and and you're a follower of his, then you're a believer. You're a person who has been saved. Now in this process of what the Bible calls sanctification, this outworking, this growing in Christ-likeness, is your car parked or perhaps stalled? If God wanted you to do something, he's the one who's got to actually push you to do it. Is your life like that? In your journey with Jesus, parked or stalled. For some of us, perhaps the car, our life is washed and polished on the outside, but we're neglecting the engine on the inside. We look good, but we're not tapping into the power and the energy and the resources that God is providing, resourcing us with. Or maybe, and I hope many of you are, you're in the driver's seat and you're holding the steering wheel The the car's all filled, gassed up with whatever God provides for us, resources us, and you're ready to go. You're ready to follow his instructions. You're just wanting his direction, and you're ready to obey him fully. So are you like a parked car? Are you stalled on the highway of holiness? Are you waiting for God to push you? Or are you trying to push your car, yourself, Trying to do it in your own strength, being religious, not being relational. Or is your life, like I said, maybe looks good on the outside, but it's lacking something on the inside? Listen to this. Your most successful life journey will uh, will be when you begin to sit prayerfully in the presence of his word. Your most successful journey, spiritual journey in life, will be when you begin to sit prayerfully in the presence of his word and to daily learn to respond to him. That's the best way. That's why it says on the front of the bulletin, you know, uh, make your, everyone may see your progress. Be diligent. Commit yourself. He actually says in another passage of verse 7 of that chapter 2, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Then, as I read the passage, the Apostle Paul, having outlined that incredible theological spiritual truth, which is in part of our mission statement as the church. What's the mission statement of our church? It's on the bulletin. Working with God. Transforming people. Working with God. We're acknowledging that God is the one who is at work and we are cooperating with him and responding to him. Well, there are, I think, five from memory. Not sure. Might be more. Number one. continuing the evidence of this ongoing improvement in your life some followers of the lord jesus some people who say they're christians and ultimately only the lord knows we know them by their fruits their life is marked by the same sins the same faults the same mistakes there's no growth there's no change there's no development they give in to the same temptations there's no victory there's no winning there's no changing and the Apostle Paul certainly writes, we have to move beyond that. We'll never get to the point where we will not be tempted, and we'll never get to the point where we don't sin. But there might very well be glimpses of it. We do live in a fallen world, Satan's territory. And so there is a battle going on. And so there is to be this the maturing Christian doesn't stand in the same place it's moving forward. Rhonda can tell you, I've paid her enough. I am not the person that I used to be. I'm an improved version. And I hope your wife can testify of you that way, or your husband, or what would your kids say about you? They tell the truth. We are to be moving forward. That's the first marker. Are you moving forward? Secondly, we are to do so with an attitude of fear and trembling. This is one of those translation pieces of the, of the Bible. This phrase appears not quite, about a dozen times. That'll do. Somewhere six to ten times or something. In the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And when you, you've got to read it in its context because when we hear that phrase, when I hear that phrase... Fear and trembling. That conjures up in my mind the, the cringing, shivering anxiety that we're about to be belted. Fear and trembling. That's not what the Bible means when it uses this phrase. So if you think and react to it like I do, then you've got a wrong understanding. And that's where our English Bible translators, from my perspective, don't help us. They could use other words. And most Bibles do translate it that way increasingly I didn't find a commentator who doesn't say what I'm about to say so we all translated, all the Bibles translated that way, most and <clears throat> but everybody reinterprets it to mean, it doesn't mean fear and trembling what it means is reverence and awe and it's a positive thing, it's a passion to please the other and it's a fear and an acknowledgement of your own inadequacies there, I say that in English That's what they're trying to do. Fear and trembling. It's the fear, not of being punished, it's not that negative thing, it's rather the fear of not wanting to hurt or disappoint or please. And the fear comes, I love my wife, she loves me, I have a fear that I will hurt her or wound her or upset her. I don't want to do that. It's that concept of fear. An acknowledgement of your own inadequacies and therefore it's trying to act in a way which is pleasing to the other person. That's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here. And as I said, all the commentators that I read, and there's about 20 of them, they all say exactly the same thing. This is not cringing fear. It's not fear of punishment. It's not a fear that drives us from God. It's a fear that drives us to God. And it's that fear of not wanting to disappoint him. Um, for instance, here is a verse, Jeremiah 32:40 where the Lord is speaking and he's talking about the new covenant uh, that He is going to make with people. And he says, I will inspire them to fear me so that they will not turn away from me. So it's not cringing fear. It's uh, an attraction to not wanting to disappoint, not to turn away from. Or in Acts chapter nine, verse 31, it talks about, so the church walking in the fear of the Lord in deep respect and not wanting to displease him, in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Fear and comfort in the same sentence. Or Isaiah 11 verse 3, talking about the Messiah, says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll love God, respect God, obey God, not want to disappoint or displease or grieve God. So fear is a negative emotion, but it's also a positive attitude. If you can get your mind around that, then that's what we're talking about. The Apostle Paul goes on. That's the second one. How's that going for you? Wanting to live in such a way that you please God. Fearful of sinning, of giving in to temptation and sin and so on. Next, the Apostle Paul says, now he's talking about not just our discipline of progressing and not just about our attitude of our, towards God. And that. Now he's going to talk about our speech, our voice. And he says we are to do everything without grumbling or disputing. We'll just move on from that one. Hey? That's too uncomfortable. We all do it, don't we? I shouldn't say all because there could be one of you who don't. You ever met anybody who doesn't grumble? Put up your hand, raise your hand if you know anybody who doesn't grumble, anybody at all. You're not raising your hand. Can't believe that. Yeah, my wife knows that I grumble. Grumbling is something we do normally by ourselves. Arguing is something we do with others. Like I said, we all do it. But notice what the Bible says. Do everything. Everything. That's a high standard. No more grumbling, no more arguing. Out of today's passage, I'm going to invite you to take one, two or three things to do. Try taking that one. For the rest of the day, no grumbling. Just today. And when tomorrow comes, if God gives us the tomorrow, no grumbling. See if you can do it for a week. It's hard. That's the world we live in, we're fallen. But he is at work in us. He is at work in us. And that's what he's getting us to strive to become. People who are not grumbling and who are not disputing, arguing. And it's with a view to, particularly not just our internal relationships, but it's particularly with a view to outside, because that's what he's going to go on to. Do everything. You see the contrast of that is, if we're not grumbling and not arguing, then we are people who are being submissive, content, people who are gracious and gentle, through the Holy Spirit. You ever been to a restaurant and ordered a meal? and it's not exactly what you ordered. You ever done that? I was at the coffee shop the other day, coffee club with one of you guys, one of the members, and we ordered two coffees. The other person ordered a skinny cappuccino in a, uh, in a mug, and I ordered a long black. I got a cappuccino in a mug. What would you do? Well, in those situations, you know, I really don't care, so I just say, it's fine, don't worry about it. I could name some people in my life, I could name some people in my family, who they would say, I didn't order that. I ordered the long black. Take it back, give me what I ordered. Now, is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But the way you do it, you're going very close to the grumbling bit, aren't you? You can do it nicely. You can do it grumpily. As you follow Jesus, be aware of the people outside and display his gentleness and his grace to others. And when they make a mistake, be gracious in correcting the mistake. That's the challenge. Next, the Apostle Paul says that we are, well, do everything. Um... If you do that, you will become something. If we don't grumble and don't argue about situations, circumstances, and people, then we'll be transformed and so we will be able to show others that we are blameless and pure. Once again, that's a pretty high standard. I think what the Apostle Paul is saying, he doesn't mean we'll be perfect and we'll be without sin. I think what he is saying is that we'll be consistent, we'll have integrity, that um, we'll be genuine, we'll be true to our confession of faith. That's exactly what the word pure there means. It doesn't mean sexually pure, though it certainly includes that. It's the word that would be used of wine or of milk or of gold, that it's pure, that it's unadulterated. There's nothing mixed in with it pure so for you as a follower of Jesus you're pure you're genuine you're real that's what he's talking about and that as outsiders look on look on you they, and you're not grumbling and you're not complaining then you'll be blameless they won't be able to point a finger at you and hold you accountable for your grumpiness or your arguing they'll see you as a gentle loving caring person That's what we have to be working out in our lives as we follow Jesus. This is the salvation that God is calling us to. Then the Apostle Paul, typical of him, doesn't pull any punches and he acknowledges the place where we live. It's a pretty negative description. Like I said, his writing is dense. Then you'll be like children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. The world we live in is broken both in its values and in its actions. It's twisted, it's warped, it's distracted, it's off course. And that's where we live. We're not to isolate ourselves from the world, we're in the middle of a warped and perverted and twisted world. That's where we are to live blameless, pure lives. That's where we are to have the opportunity for us to take the next marker, which is to be a light, an example, a light in a dark place that will shine like the stars in the sky as we hold firmly both to the message but also holding the message forth to others that we will be evangelistic, that we'll be straight in a crooked world, that will be consistent in an inconsistent world, a broken world. There's no need for us to shout or to confront or to make a scene. All we have to do is follow Jesus and let his life shine through us in the choices we make. Live a life free of grumbling and disputing, to be authentic and consistent. That's what the apostle is calling us to. And it ain't easy. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to acknowledge. uh, Oops. Down the bottom in the green it says, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ. That's a strange phrase, isn't it? Boast on the day of Christ. NIV translation, but it caught me when I, why would you boast on the day of Jesus? Proud me. That's not what he means. What he means is, then on that day I'll be very proud that I served Jesus in all my running and it wasn't in vain that I followed him, obeyed him and the result is people came to faith. You Philippians came to faith and I'll be so proud on that day and I'll be rewarded for it. So it's not a negative boasting, it's a positive boasting of what God has done. Um, and to run and labour in vain. He's, the Apostle Paul lived in his world like in our world. There were lots of sporting activities and events. There were lots of games in different cities. And Paul had obviously attended some of those games. And he had seen the athletes in training. And there are strict rules. And there are you know, incremental training. And there are regulations. And you've got to follow all of that in order to be successful. And that's the picture he uses of himself. This, this Christian life that we are in is like a race and there are rules and regulations and there is training and there is discipline and there are things to say no to and things to say yes to and everything else and if we are successful then it's not in vain it's not for nothing the apostle paul is saying i'll be able to look back on my life and i'll see how god has blessed us blessed me and blessed you through using me which is how God works in the world through people and then he says remember he's in jail and he's not sure how this is going to turn out he says but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I am glad and I rejoice even if my life is poured out even if I die I'm glad I know where I'm going going to heaven and you should be glad for me too because you know where I'm going and one day you'll go there too even if it, it's again, it's a picture. Not in our world, but in that ancient world, if you went to meal, if you went to meal at uh, one another's house, and you sat down to have lunch together, what would happen before you ate? You guys don't say grace. You'd say grace, wouldn't you? Well, in the ancient world, the way they did it is they take a glass of a, a cup of wine, and they would pour some of it out. It's a libation. It's a drink offering being poured out to their gods. And it was both an indication of, uh, bless us, we want your favour. And they would also do it at the end of the meal, pour out the rest of the cup of wine or drink. And that would be either to seek their favour or to avert their anger, if we've done or said anything wrong. Paul simply takes that. If my life is being poured out as an offering to God, And it's upon your service and your faith. My little bit is being added to your life. And in that I rejoice. I remind you that your same apostle says to us that we are to be living sacrifices. Our life is to be poured out in serving the Lord Jesus. That's the meaning of the picture. The apostle Paul just seems to take... It's a little bit idealistic. You have to read the New Testament very carefully to find his you know, his foibles, and there was one in this passage, I jumped over it, but it's very easy to read and to think that Paul is just way up here. He was outstanding as a follower of Christ, but he was human and broken and he had issues like we do as well. But he was able to bring all of that, it would seem, into submission to Jesus. He just totally sold out. If you reread that passage, this passage we're doing this morning, uh, you'll see that he talks about being anxious. I think we're still coming to it. This is the apostle says, don't be anxious about anything. But he says, and oh, no, I was anxious. It's a little acknowledgement that he's just like us. So here, the apostle Paul is a person who is living for Christ. Christ is at the center of his life. His attitude seems to be, I think I have time to tell you this. I've told you this story before, but I like it. So it's, um, I'm going to Christianize it but it doesn't come from a Christian source it's back when the Japanese invaded China in about the 1930s, 1940s um, and there was a Chinese farmer who had one horse a white stallion remember this story? some of you might and one day The stallion got out of the stables, got out of the corral and took off into the hills. The neighbour of the farmer came over to console him and said, this is terrible. What a great loss. I am so sorry for you. And he came to commiserate with him. The Chinese farmer wisely says, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Who is to know? Let's wait and see. Now, that's the secular version of it. You know, it's Doris Day, K sera, sera. What is to be is to be. It's just accept whatever comes down the road at you. The Christian version of that is, is it good or is it bad? God knows. Let's wait and see how God works this out in my life. He is the God who is at work in us and around us. He's the God who can take bad things and use it for good things. He's the God who was at work. Let's wait and see. And so the farmer then goes away. And the next time, next thing happens is a few days later, the white stallion comes back, but brings with him about half a dozen other horses, wild horses, Brumbies, and he brings them back and puts them in the corral. And the neighbor comes over and says, this is wonderful. You've got all these all these extra horses to do. And is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Who is to know? Let's wait and see. He had one son, a 15, 16 year old who was riding those wild ponies to try and break them in and to settle them in and in one of those days he fell off the pony and he broke his leg. The neighbor came over and said, this is terrible. What a shocking thing to have to happen to you. Your only son with his broken leg. Uh, I'm here to console you and to comfort you and it's a terrible thing. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Who is to know? Let's wait and see. God is in this sum. I'll work it out. A few days later, um, the Chinese uh, recruiting recruiting officer went through the district and they were recruiting all young men to come and join them in the armed army to fight against the Japanese. And because the young man had a broken leg, he wasn't able to go. Neighbour comes over and says, this is a wonderful thing. (laughs) The neighbour says, too, right? No, he didn't, he said. (laughs) Good thing, bad thing, who is to know? God will work it out. That's the perspective the Apostle Paul seems to have had. Of, this is bad, I don't like this, but somehow, God, you're in this, or you can use this, you can work through it. The Apostle James annoyingly says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you suffer various trials. You have got to be joking. Count it all joy when you are suffering, facing various trials i get annoyed with drivers on the road. That's hardly a trial. Just to be, to confess before you, this congregation, the other day I was going in to visit somebody who's in hospital, um, and in the process, I was in the right lane, I had to get in the left lane to get onto the M1, and there was an old guy, and there was a gap, it was a big enough gap So I put the blinkers on and I went in, but I was obviously too close to him. I looked in my mirror with righteous indignation and slowed down. Then I thought, that's not good. So then I sped up again. About 100 yards later, and I looked Another guy had come in behind me in front of him. He was an older driver. He was obviously going somewhere. And he didn't like cars being too close to him. was being very cautious. So forgive me for I have sinned. And now that I've repeated that story to you, I've now gossiped and grumbled at the same time. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing that's going on for you? Who is to know? God knows what you need to do is to get his perspective on it and to trust him to work through it and to be his representative in it. Not grumbling, not complaining, but in order to be blameless and pure, particularly before others who are twisted and warped and off track and hold forth the light of the message of the word of life. That's the instruction. And then Paul, and we're going to go very quickly through this. Then Paul takes two guys. He's given us the example of Jesus in chapter 2. Now he's going to give us a second example, Timothy. And then he's going to give a third example, Epaphroditus. <laughs> Timothy is a man. This is a whole sermon within itself, but you're not getting that this morning. Timothy is a person who is very close to the Apostle Paul. In fact, the language Paul uses is they are same-souled. They are very close. They are like each other. Paul is an extrovert, but Timothy is an introvert, but they have similar passions and goals. They love Jesus, and they love Jesus' church, and they're passionate for the gospel. Timothy, when you read through those verses, was a messenger to the Philippians, and when he got there, he was to tell them about Paul's situation, and then he was to report back to Paul so Paul could get an update on what was going on in Philippi. Then the apostle Paul writes this magnificent. 21, 2021, I have no one like him, no one else like him, who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Aren't they, powerful words. There's no one else like him. Christians in the first century everyone is looking out for their own interests not those of Jesus even in the first century just like us fallen distracted preoccupied wrestling with working out our salvation but Timothy is a guy who seems to have progressed who seems to have stepped forward in maturity and growth Paul says you know his character and his service with me in the gospel and he says I'll wait and find out what's going to happen to me here. Then I'm going to send Timothy to you. And then he says, and then I'm going to come. When you analyse it like that, it doesn't make sense. Except the Apostle Paul wants to know what's going on in Philippi. And he wants to know now. And he can't wait. But he has to wait for the verdict so Timothy can tell them. And after he's told them, he wants Timothy to come back. And then they're going to go back together to Philippi. Something like that. What, what's all that mean for us? Well, Timothy is a person who was always willing to go, wherever and whenever. He is, the, William Barclay says, he's the patron saint of those who are content with second place, so long as they can serve. Has God placed in your life a Timothy? Somebody who is always willing to be supportive, like you, supportive, do whatever he can to help you. And then, next example: Epaphroditus Epaphroditus 's name means lucky, one blessed with luck." Um, Epaphroditus was a remarkable man and, and deserves far more time than I can give it this morning, but he 's certainly an example of servanthood, considering others. The Apostle Paul identifies him i don 't think I've got the verses up there. yes, I have. I think it necessary to send Epaphroditus to you. he is and Paul gives him this testimonial because If Epaphroditus was sent from Philippi to Paul in wherever he is in prison, and he had a job to support Paul, but he got sick. And he got so sick, he nearly died. And so Paul thought, I'm going to send you back because he's anxious about them and they're anxious for him. And he said, it's better if you go back. But if he goes back, there's a potential problem that some people will criticise Epaphroditus. Some people will blame him. You failed. We sent you to do a job do the job what are you doing back here so Paul writes this testimonial to prepare the way for the church to receive him and he describes him in three ways he is uh, my brother Uh, uh, he is one with me in the family of Jesus he's one with me in sympathy he's my brother He's a fellow worker, co-worker. He's one with me in the work of the gospel. And he's a fellow soldier. He's one with me in the spiritual battle. He stood on the front line and in the firing line. This guy was doing exactly what you sent him to do. And then, is it on there? Next one. Down the bottom of that. He uses two words to describe what it was for them. He was their messenger. Quite literally, he was their apostle. He was the person they had sent to assist the Apostle Paul to represent them. And then Paul uses this beautiful word, whom he, you sent to take care of my needs. And the word there is of a, a priestly duty. He brings it out again in the next verse. He risked his life to make up for what you couldn't do to help. And the word that Paul uses in the original is a very unusual word, but it's a word that came into the first centuries, first few centuries of the Christian church. And the word is... That'll do. That's what it was called. That's not the exact word. That's the Latin word of it. Parabolini. What's a parabolini? It's a very special class of people in the second, third and into the fourth centuries. The parabolini, and that's behind the word that Paul uses, to risk your life. You could translate it, he gambled his life. He took a risk in serving others. The parabolini were the gamblers, the risk takers. They were the ones who would visit people in prison or would visit the sick or the lepers and would help out. In the year 252, William Barclay tells us this story. In 252, a plague broke out in the city of Cathage the city officials threw the dead bodies out into the streets and then they shot through, they left through fear. The bishop of Carthage, Cyprian, he gathered the church together and he gave them the job of burying the dead and of visiting the homes of the sick and caring for them. And by that action, they saved the city at the risk of their own lives. They stood in harm's way. That's what Epaphroditus had done with Paul. He'd gone to be with him in prison. That means he was associated with a prisoner. That means he would have been treated like a criminal, even though he wasn't one. So he's willing to go into the front line to support and to care for Paul and in the process got very sick and is now going home. His name, which is just, I think, lovely, is named after a Greek goddess, Epaphrodite, whom you may have heard of. She was the goddess of love, but also the goddess of gambling. When you threw the dice, the gamblers would say Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus, which means give us luck, Epaphroditus, Aphrodite, give us luck, Epaphroditus. So his very name means one blessed with luck. We've got a minute, so I'll tell you this because we all need to have a laugh. It reminds me of an ad in a newspaper in a notice in the Lost and Found section, Lost Dog, Reward, $50. Description, black and tan dog of poodle and German shepherd descent. Flea bitten, left hind leg missing, no hair on the rump, blind and recently neutered. Answers to the name, lucky. (laughs) Paphroditus. But here is a dog who's all messed up, but who is loved cared for, being pursued and the person is willing to pay the price to get them back. Doesn't that sound like Jesus with us? Here we are, messed up, broken, but loved, pursued and willing to pay the price to get us back. Lucky. Think of that story and think of Epaphroditus. Now before I bring this to one conclusion, Let me remind you of some of the things that I have said. And you're not going to remember them all. There's about 11 or 12 things. <clears throat> Pick one, two or three of them. So I'm going to work on that this week. I'm going to work on that today and tomorrow. This week, I'm going to work out in my life the salvation that he is working within. To live a mature life in Christ personally so that you can become or show... That you're more and more like the Lord Jesus. How's your working out going? If you were a car, are you stalled? Are you pushing it? Are you polished on the outside, but the engine needs some work? Or you're sitting there, fueled up, tanked up, hands on the wheel, ready to go. Where are you at with Jesus? Do you want to work on the fear and trembling bit? living a life that's going to please God, not displease him, and to do so out of reverence and respect, as well as aware of your own inadequacy. If you rely on yourself, you ought to be fearful. What about grumbling and arguing? Do you need to pick that one? Blameless and pure. Holding forth the word. Running and labouring. Putting in the effort. Which one? Pick one. And what about in your life? Can you identify a Timothy? Do you know an Epaphroditus? People who love, care and serve you? Or are you that in somebody else's life that you come alongside them and you're putting your life on the line for them? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 21 ties all of this together and then I'm going to pray. Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through jesus to whom be glory forever and ever and everybody said let's pray heavenly father we want to thank you again for your word we thank you for your the author for the apostle paul and the way your spirit worked in his life to deliver us these truths even to us today lord your word is full and deep and there is much for us to learn and much for us to do. Could you help us to focus on which parts of this message today do we need to take and work out, implement in our lives that we might be living authentically, particularly before a watching needy world? Lord Jesus, prompt us, nudges, remind us, And thank you that you forgive us. We submit to you. And everybody said, Amen.